Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello, and welcome back to the Balanced Blonde Podcast, Soul on Fire. I'm your host, Jordan Younger, and I'm so happy that you're here. If this is your first time listening to the show, you picked a good episode to get acquainted with. This is a very informative and special episode with someone who actually used to be my therapist. And everyone who's been in therapy knows that you have a very close relationship with your therapist. In most traditional therapy, your therapist knows so much about you, if not everything, and you know next to nothing about them. And that was the case between myself and Nick, who's on the podcast today. And I saw Nick from roughly 2015 to 2017. That's what we pretty much determined when he got here the other day. And recently, I was scrolling Instagram and saw this psychedelic symposium that's coming up that's being hosted by a friend of a friend as well as Nick. And I see his face, I see his name, it immediately jumps out to me. And I got so excited. I went to his website and I saw that he now practices not just integrative psychotherapy, but also ketamine-assisted psychotherapy and psychedelic integration. And you guys know I am so into psychedelics. I have had so many of my own experiences with psychedelics and all of that had happened after I was in therapy with Nick. Nick helped me so much with my personal involvement, with traumas that I was moving through. He practices a system called internal family systems, which is something that we talk a little bit about in this episode, which basically relates to parts of ourself and that work with Nick helped me so much. For example, you could say a part of me is really excited for today's podcast interview and a part of me is nervous, hypothetically, something like that. And we use that to work through trauma and so many other things. So we didn't talk a lot about traditional therapy in this episode because I am just thrilled to finally have a psychedelic expert on the show. I've been talking endlessly about my ayahuasca journeys and psilocybin journeys, and I've had a couple of different experts here and there on the podcast, including a near-death experience expert where we touched on ayahuasca, 
as well as shamans and other people who are definitely experts in their own right. But Nick is involved on the therapy side, and he's also involved with the science and the research and with MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And that was started by Rick Doblin and That's something that we talk about in this episode. So that is research that's going on with MDMA-assisted therapy, ketamine-assisted therapy, psilocybin, even ayahuasca, things that are in clinical trials right now. So I was just thrilled to have someone from the inside of such an incredible organization. And not only that, someone who I know and trust And it was very special to reconnect with Nick and have him in my home and have him meet Hudson. I was seeing Nick when I got Hudson, when Hudson was a kitten six years ago. And it was just a very full circle. I'm a huge fan and advocate of everything that they're doing with MAPS and psychedelic studies and especially psychedelic studies and research for therapeutic purposes. I think it's so beautiful. I could go on and on about my own ketamine experiences, ayahuasca, etc. But I talk a little bit about that in the episode and we answer all of your burning questions, all the typical questions that I get from people about psychedelics, and then tons of questions that I had myself, which means you guys probably had them too. I got to ask Nick when he was here. So very honored that he came on. Thank you, Nick, for coming on the show and being kind of being new to podcasts and being open and vulnerable with me. It meant so much. You guys should definitely check out Nick at apracticeoffreedom.com. He's very booked up, I have to say. And the second that I am not pregnant, I am totally going to do ketamine-assisted session with him or group of sessions, and I would love to do it as a couple or as a family if I could ever convince my family, (laughs) which we will see. We will see what happens there. Um, So apracticeoffreedom.com is Nick's website. And thank you again, Nick, for coming on. And before we get into the episode, I would love to remind you that if you feel inspired to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, you can send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Jordan at thebalanceblonde.com. And I will thank you by sending you my free yoga ebook in return. It means so much to me when you take the time to rate and review the podcast. And it honestly just really, really helps with visibility and with so many other things, as well as just, I like to see and connect with the people who are listening. So I know that I'm just not talking into outer space, which I know I'm not doing, but it's it's hard. <laughs> it's hard sometimes to just talk into the microphone. I want to meet you guys and talk to you. So that is that. And Before we dive into the episode, I would love to thank our sponsor for today's show, Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high-quality ingredients and less than three grams of sugar. So as you can imagine, it's very TBB-approved, very up my alley. The founder of Organifi started the company after experiencing his own radical health transformation through the power of juicing superfoods. He set out to inspire others by helping them transform their health through personal coaching programs. And then he realized there was a need for a solution that could give people access to the highest quality nutrition to support their health and wellness while on the go. 
They use super high quality ingredients. They choose the highest quality, all plant-based ingredients, of course, for optimal health. I say of course, because everything I talk about on the podcast is plant-based. Each blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers when possible and always contain less than three grams of sugar. Everything is super convenient. Each superfood blend is super easy to use by simply mixing it with water or your favorite beverage while on the go, providing you with high-quality nutrition throughout your day. It's less than $3 per day. They strive to keep their prices as low as possible. And of course, we have a special discount for you, which I'll get into in a second. First, I just want to tell you that my favorite Organifi product is their Organifi Green Juice. You can start your day with essential superfoods that help reduce stress and reset your morning. It contains a clinical dose of ashwagandha, which helps support healthy cortisol levels that aid in weight management. There are 11 superfoods in there. It's 100% USDA certified organic. It helps reduce food cravings and, like I said, helps balance your cortisol and it's full of vitamins and nutrients. So we have a very special offer for you guys is Organifi.com slash balanced. And that is Organifi, O-R-G-E-A-N-I-F-I.com slash balanced for 15% off any item in the store. Check them out at Organifi.com slash balanced. And they also have fun seasonal products. Make sure to tag me on your Instagram when you try and I will repost you. Now let's get into this episode with Dr. Nicholas Bruce. All right, Nick, I'm so happy that you're here in my house. (laughs) Me too. It's exciting. So I'll start by kind of telling the audience how we know each other. We worked together, you as my therapist, for many years, starting, I was just thinking this a minute ago, I think in 2015. Sounds about right. Because that's when I got Hudson, Mm -hmm. my cat, Mm -hmm. and I remember coming in and telling you, I'm so worried all the time that my little kitten is, something's going to happen to him. And I remember these conversations. Mm -hmm. It was my first step into motherhood slash taking care of a little creature. And we worked on so much together. You have been hugely instrumental in my personal evolution. Mm. So thank you. Mm, You're so welcome. And as I've shared with you before, it has been an honor to have worked with you. And obviously you do great work. Your ability to turn in, make space for what's arising releasing more and more of your gifts. Thank you so much. And you do amazing work as well. I was so excited, as you know, to see when I stumbled again across your website and just everything that you do, that you are doing psychedelic assisted therapy now. And that's what we're here to talk about today. We'll talk, mm-hmm. we'll probably talk about other things as well, but this is so exciting. And people have been requesting an expert in psychedelics for a long while, as typically it's just me talking about my experiences. <laughs> and while that is for some people, it's not for everyone. They want to hear the science and they want to hear 
the studies and you are immersed in the research and doing so many incredible things for the field of psychedelics. So how did that get started? How did you get started in that area? Well, I am stoked to be here to share because it's really alive in me beyond my own experiences with psychedelics. The getting to see healing unfolding for many people in private practice and within the research. So I am really glad to be talking to you and your audience. I got started through, I was a psychotherapist and along the way started to hear the rumblings of how psychedelics were, were starting to be more researched and in a serendipitous kind of grace uh, filled path found myself in conversation with the team here in Los Angeles that was forming for a study for MDMA-assisted psychotherapy and for the treatment of PTSD. And it's hard to say exactly what was the kind of the last kicker to make it a go, but what led up to those conversations were hearing and then actually seeing some of the footage from early studies of how people participants in this in research that had MDMA in their system, how they could see they're uh, more open and that they were able to have conversations with parts of themselves in ways that clearly they weren't able to before. And so it so resonated with the way that I was working and wanted to work more in. I leaned in and pursued this path and then studied up and gracefully got the, the green light to be part of the MAPS team and MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. They're the main sponsor for leading a lot of the research that's happening right now in the field. Wow. And are they everywhere? Are they based in the U.S. or like Los Angeles or is this every, everywhere? They are international. They're um, I know you know Santa Cruz. They are mm-hmm. their headquarters. Uh, of course is it is. Yeah. <laughs> Santa Cruz is such a leading spot, I feel like, for psychedelics. People always tell me they go there to do ceremonies. And I say, oh, did you do it with... And then I name the shamans that I've sat with. And they say, no, actually. There's so many little cool things happening there. Yeah. So that's where they're headquartered at. And Rick Doblin, the pioneering founder... 30 plus years ago, before MDMA was even illegal, he saw the writing on the wall and he started MAPS in 1986, which their main, their leading mission was to mass mental health and making available, creating access for psychedelic medicines for people worldwide. And the leading study with that is the uh, which we're now in phase three of three for FDA approval uh, for MDMA to be used in conjunction with psychotherapy. So uh, MAPS, that study is happening in the United States in several locations, uh, also in Canada, Israel, and there are a number of other studies happening uh, in Europe and other parts of the world too. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. I've heard his name a lot. I've heard him on the Joe Rogan podcast and it just sounds so fascinating. So, okay. So MDMA is in phase three of three and then ketamine is, a, is another 
psychedelic that you do assisted therapy with, is that now fully out of clinical trials or what's going on with that? Sure. So ketamine, which um, at the time you and I were working, I was just getting started in training to work with ketamine. And ketamine has actually been around for a really long time, over, over 50 years. So a little bit about ketamine. It is on the World Health Organization's 50 most essential medicines. Uh, it tends to be qu- it's quite safe in terms of its safety profile, meaning it doesn't depress the cardiac or respiratory system. So like compared to morphine, it doesn't require as much immediate medical attention. And a reason that that can be really useful, it's been ketamine has been considered the buddy drug. So in some war type situations, if someone's injured and they need to be air vac out before that happens, they can be given ketamine. They don't have to be monitored as closely as they would with, say, morphine. And it would reduce the amount of, relieve the amount of panic, uh, reduce the amount of pain in a, in a safe way uh, so that they can get uh, further treatment. So ketamine's been around for a long time. As far as therapy, it's used off-label. Originally, ketamine is, is anesthetic. Mm-hmm. So it's used, again, safely, like with kittens, <laughs> uh, infants. Um, uh, so it's used with humans. And its therapeutic components include the space that it creates for someone. So while someone might have some challenging or traumatic memories or material with ketamine uh, in their system, it can create a little bit of space from those memories or from that material so that they can explore it in a way that tends to increase uh, better outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have had amazing experiences with ketamine, which I may or may not have told you when we were talking um, a few weeks ago before you came on, but I did some IV ketamine for Lyme healing and just loved it. And I can see how therapeutically it would be incredible. And that was kind of the component that I was missing when I had those experiences, um, which they give ketamine to Lyme patients for pain for PTSD, for depression that can come on from being sick for so long. And also, you probably know all this already, but to rewire the brain. Because I noticed, and I a lot of Lyme patients will notice that even if you're healing, our brains have been so wired to feel so sick and so much pain that you almost can't even realize that you're healing. So that's what I was having the ketamine four and I would do it in the doctor's office, but there was no therapeutic component. There would always be someone in there to keep you awake so you don't go into like a ketamine hole, as they say. (laughs) But I wanted so much to explore what was coming up in my mind and my heart and very psychedelic experiences. I mean, I remember seeing like things on the walls melting and my mom was in the room with me at one point and I was telling her, oh my God, I see your soul. I see all your past lives. I'm going to tell you about it. And it was so cool because it was so far the only time I've, I've gotten to have like a psychedelic experience with my mom there. 
because um, she's not, not about to go to sit in a ceremony with me of any other type of medicine. So that was really special. So when you lead people through ketamine-assisted therapy, what is what is a session like? Yeah. Um, well, just really quick to add to that list. Well, Jordan, you've done your homework. Yeah. Yes, I, have. <laughs> I think when you've been sick, you become this, what do they call us? Unofficial. Um, we get our unofficial PhD mm-hmm. in a way, very unofficial because, you know, you are just trying everything mm-hmm. under the sun that could potentially help. Yeah. Yeah. And in addition to that list, you mentioned pain, PSD. Yeah. Uh, ketamine is really helpful for certain kinds of anxiety, depression, and suicidality as well. And it works differently in, in the brain. You, men- you mentioned that uh, kind of rewiring or neuroplasticity that while many medications work on the serotonin or dopamine system, this works on a, on a dis- different system called the glutamate system, which also makes it safer um, to not uh, with, with other um, medicines that people are taking. It's an available medicine to work with. Uh, without having to taper off or or, or do without mm-hmm. uh, medicines that are, help, are already supporting people. I'm really glad to hear that uh, your mom, someone loving and trusting, was was in the room. Yeah, you, you're, you're kind of highlighting one of the things about ketamine, that there are IV clinics and there can be a lot of utility and usefulness there. In my opinion, it leaves a lot of kind of therapeutic meat on the bone, that when there's a relationship, when there's a a process that the ketamine assists, then there can be even more transformation or or healing towards whatever that person's goals are. So the way that ketamine-assisted psychotherapy works in my clinical practice, I'll meet with someone for a number of sessions, say three sessions, and if we feel that ketamine would be a support to their process, then they'll meet with one of my psychiatrists if that psychiatrist also agrees that this person is uh, ketamine could be appropriate for for this person, then we'll schedule sessions for four to six weeks that include a ketamine session followed by a non-ketamine session. We'll call that an integration session. So each week, a ketamine session, an integration session, and through that four to six weeks, a, a therapeutic arc of what's arising. Uh, I want to very be clear to mention integration as an ongoing process throughout that throughout that process, which which starts with a relationship and intentions, and then how these intentions actually show up, and they tend to show up in small choices in day to day life that are in line with one's short term and long term well being. So that's kind of the general layout this kind of a preparatory session the medicine sessions and the integration sessions mhm and then how many medicine sessions do you typically do in those 4 to 6 weeks yeah so it tends to be one ketamine session per week for the 4 to 6 weeks then we'll pause we'll I'll have on the onset a plan in consultation with the prescribing psychiatrist and then we'll pause There are many medicines that are used to kind of combat symptoms. What we're looking to do with ketamine, and I would also include other psychedelics, that we're looking to use that to support someone to get to the root of what's actually going on. So they might come in, people come to 
to work with me to work with uh, social anxiety or treatment-resistant depression or PTSD. And while ketamine in and of itself can relieve some of those symptoms, we want to use that space. That's a really rich, valuable space to get to know the roots of what's rising, build relationship with different parts that may be aspects of us that have had to kind of come on and protect us or shut us down or uh, that create a lot of of confusion inside. We can use that space. And I'm speaking to both when ketamine is uh, in someone's system during the ketamine sessions and the days and and weeks throughout the treatment. Mm -hmm. That sounds so beautiful. (laughs) I mean, I still want to do this with you when I'm no longer pregnant because that that component was really missing in all of the ketamine IVs that I did. the last time that I had an experience with ketamine was a few days before I got married in 2019. So November, 2019. And I did a few different ketamine IVs that week. You probably would not be so excited to know how many sessions I was doing. Um, because I was very desperate to feel well for my wedding and I was doing too many things at once. And there was no therapeutic component. So I remember the last time that I did it, Jonathan was there and I was just like sobbing at the end. And we went to the beach because that's where I wanted to go. I was having those kind of visions and feelings like I have to go to the beach when this is over. And I was sobbing because I was like, why can't I feel this good anyway? Why can't I feel this good when this leaves my system? And ketamine is interesting that way, at least for me, the second that it was gone from my bloodstream, I felt nothing anymore. And I really wanted to feel the way that it took the pain away and made me happy. And I felt like, what is going on in this realm where I'm not feeling that way anyway? And that was very sad and very depressing to the point where I thought I need to take a break from ketamine. Um, because I'm just going to be sad that mm. I don't feel this way all the time. It, it speaks to a couple things that the utility of ketamine for a temporary in of itself and the, the medical, the, the biological components and, and how that can impact and relieve suffering temporarily. And I, I can't help but I lean into like, and what if? There was part of a therapeutic process that that space, that's amazing space is used to get to the root of, of the pain. Yes. I'm referring to the psychological pain. I understand that there are physical components that need tending to in other ways. And, and even with that, the relief of the physical pain can also create a little bit more, let's call it psychic space to turn towards our emotional, the, the things that, uh, that stress us. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that I totally agree with you. And that's what I would want to explore is I do believe we can get to the root through the help of some of these medicines. And I was definitely lacking that in the ketamine experiences, but other experiences that we've talked about with ayahuasca and psilocybin, I do feel connected me to the root. I don't know, maybe because the experiences were longer, like anywhere from six hours to a whole entire three-day ceremony that just shook my whole perspective and were really helpful. 
Yeah, you mentioned the the length. So one of the things ketamine has going for it, it's legal and it's relatively short acting. So mm-hmm. it can be in ways and even as more psychedelics become available, ketamine I think will be a great tool in the toolbox for people even to experience some non-ordinary state of mind. You mentioned, you know, psilocybin and uh, ayahuasca and the the healing experiences you, you've had. Uh, there's yes a, a longer length of time there, and these medicines they're they're very interesting, and they're when partnered with, when worked with well. Talk about set and setting. What kind of provides a space for for someone to do uh, the most or or the work that needs to be done? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, is there anyone who this is not a good fit for? Who these medicines? Or psychedelics, you just would say, this is not the right fit for this person at this time? I have a couple of responses to that. So when I've got my researcher hat on, I know that there are certain inclusion and exclusion criteria. So for example, with the MDMA for PTSD study, we're looking for, you know, there's, I've got my arms out to the side, there's this many people with PTSD. and the research is honed in on a sliver of that in order to be able to work through and and present the the research in the best way to meet the research needs. And that's not to say that MDMA-assisted therapy wouldn't help, you know, many more outside of who's been accepted into, into the study. And then we could break down kind of some of these the differences. So there's speaking in general there, as people are exploring psychedelic assisted therapy or working with psychedelics, there is the medical front. So the the general contraindications are if there's active psychosis or or a a history uh, of psychosis also on and another one such as untreated high blood pressure. These tend to be things um, but more on the preparation or readiness for the, the psychological side. When the mindset is of, is this going to save me? Am I, is this my, my last chance, silver, kind of silver bullet, panacea that can just like help or, or solve everything? Not the ideal <laughs> mindset. And it's through education and also a supportive environment that can allow a space for someone to open up and kind of let go of is if there's this one shot deal, but rather how can this help me connect more to what needs my attention inside? So in response to your question, there's the medical component and kind of the psychological uh, components as well. And it, and it differs a bit mm-hmm. for, for different, different medicines. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And then people who are pregnant, is it just, uh. is it just a no? <laughs> uh. I, I actually would have liked to start out with like, oh, wow, we need so much more research on this. And, yeah. and we're heading in that direction. So by and large, mostly pregnancy. I mean, certainly for MDMA and, and other studies, that's that's a disqualifier. Mm-hmm. And we also know, um, actually, we have a symposium coming up. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about but one of the, the speakers in the symposium, Melissa Whippo. She has done some research as part of some research 
for ketamine mm -hmm. for postpartum mm. and like a lactation uh, component to that. So there, there, is there are studies going on and there's also a, a large, perhaps not so well documented, but indigenous cultures that have used medicines for centuries while, while pregnant, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that for anyone. But there's just a lot of of, of information and in, in out there and and more and more research that needs to be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's that thing with pregnancy and everything. It's like, oh, it just hasn't been researched because no one is going mm. to test that on, you know, a pregnant woman necessarily. But those are some very good points. And I have spoken to people from indigenous cultures who say, yes, like in my family, in my tribe, my culture, people have been drinking ayahuasca, for example, for centuries while, when they're pregnant and it's part of the culture. So that's one thing. And then, yeah, I'd be so interested to hear more about the postpartum research. Mm -hmm. I'll have yeah. to attend the symposium. <laughs> the thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So interesting. Because I was saying to you before we started, being pregnant is such an expansive time and has brought up so many new emotions and memories and things that I would love to um, lean on those medicines that have been so healing to me. And it's also been kind of a expanding challenge to not do it and just to actually um, lean on myself and my 100% clear mind and get through it anyway, um, which is what I've been doing, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I hear you. And by the way, what lucky, what good karma that one in your belly <laughs> has coming in uh, to your good hands. I really appreciate your openness and curiosity of what are all the ways that we can support ourselves knowing that the way we support ourselves flows out into all our relationships. We were wrapping a little bit uh, before we started about um, how medicines can be really useful for couples. Yeah. Uh, uh, relationships of all varieties, family. Um, I'm keen on end of life, not only for reducing end of life anxiety for someone uh, kind of actively dying, um, but rather but also to include their family members around them. Yeah. But. That's so beautiful. Wait, I want to talk more about that. I saw when I was looking at your website again, end of life, um, that was something that you listed as kind of one of the things that you are trained and focused in. And that fascinates me. So what would entail something like that with family members and the person who's, who's dying? Yeah. So to use psychedelic medicine as a, as a tool to help not only the individual who is kind of the, you know, actively dying, which obviously we all are mm -hmm. in different ways, mm -hmm. but it's a real opportunity, this transition towards end of life, not only for the individual, but what they, what they will leave behind. And in those relationships, there's so many things not said. There's so many things um, that can be exponentially healing in that in that critical critical time towards the end of life, and it it can unfold in ways that 
that impact family members, friends around. So in, there has been research with MDMA, psilocybin, with ketamine around end-of-life anxiety. And one thing I'm, along with others, kind of dreaming up, what would it be like to create a, a space for the family members or close, close friends around someone who's dying to work together in a, in a group process with the, with the assist of, of psychedelic medicine. Mm-hmm. That sounds amazing. Oh my gosh. My, my mind is already thinking of, oh my, I wonder if my family will ever be open to this. Um, everyone is healthy at the moment and alive. Um, cause my dream, my true dream is to have some kind of experience like this with my family, specifically with my mom and dad. And people listening, they probably know um, my mom and dad, they've been on the podcast and they're very much like, we love this for you. We're mm-hmm. never going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, here's Huddy. Ah, cameo. You finally get to meet the I've famous heard, Hudson. I heard so much. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> Come bring us your good energy, ah. Huddy. All right, just a brief interruption from this episode with Dr. Nick to talk about my favorite plant-based meal delivery service, Sakara Life. I have tried every plant-based meal delivery service under the sun, truly, especially now being pregnant and just looking for ways to eat healthy and make it really easy and not be in the kitchen all the time. And Sakara is my tried and true favorite. So Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. Their organic, ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients, and they're designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. They have a menu of creative, chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners that changes weekly, so you'll never get bored. And it's delivered fresh anywhere in the U.S., What I think is so cool and different about Saqqara is that along with delicious plant-rich meals, they also offer daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutrition. Experience the power of plants as medicine with their best-selling metabolism super powder. It tastes like chocolate. It's amazing. I put it in my coffee every morning. It's made with organic raw cacao, and it works to boost energy, eliminate bloating, minimize sugar cravings, and reduce fatigue. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off of their first order when they go to sakara.com slash balanced or enter the code blonde20 at checkout and it will take you to this super cute special page for our TBB listeners. That's sakara.com slash balanced code blonde20. And there you can shop their signature meal program, their daily wellness essentials, or my fave, the metabolism super powder or all of it. And with that, thank you so much, Sakara, for sponsoring the show. Now let's get back into this episode with Dr. Nicholas Bruce. Jordan, with that, what would you say, what is it you really want for your parents? What is it that if they had that experience that they might walk away with? Well, I think some of my journeys with plant medicine have brought me very ancestral experiences on both sides, but specifically a lot on my dad's lineage. And 
he and I have so many similarities. We are so similar and so different. We butt heads. We're very close. Um, and when we, when I was younger, we really didn't even get along for that reason. And I want him to have so much more peace. And whether that's in this life or heading into the next realm, peace. He's so hard on himself and almost nothing is good enough. And that's a very ancestral belief on that side of the family. And so it was just inherited into him. And then he was raised that way. And then he raised all of us that way. And I have gone on, I just happened to go on my own journeys to try to disconnect from that, although I still can feel that way inherently. So I want peace for him, joy, more happiness. Mm. And um, and same for my mom. I mean, different, totally different set of things on her lineage, but like breaking free. And I want them to see the beauty that I've seen, even if I've seen a lot of darkness too. Um, when you go through the darkness, you can you feel the light so much more intensely. And I want that for them so much. Also, because I think they would, I mean, they do their best to understand me and they do a really, really good job to support me. They're the most supportive people probably in my life other than Jonathan, but they would understand my soul so much deeper. I just want it. I want to share the <laughs> gifts I've I've gotten from these um, medicines with them. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I, I I hear that from your experience. The shifts that happen for you, the connection that it could potentially bring about, and even the unknown of what gifts it might kind of unfold uh, for for them. Yeah, yeah. I get. Where yeah. are you coming from? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe this setting would be way more appealing to them. And you mentioned something about the ketamine lozenges versus the IV being less intense. Did you say something like that? Or yeah, there's you can a, explain, but maybe they would do something like that. Sure thing. And just they can imagine, you know, there will be a medical doctor right yeah, there. In yeah. The room. Yeah. Uh, so ketamine works in different ways, same medicine in different doses and in different administrations or different ways to literally get the ketamine molecule uh, into the brain. Those main ones are sublingual. So these are kind of, they look like cough drops or kind of medicated lozenges. That's one. IV has been mentioned. So that's mm -hmm intravenous and that that's a way in which I haven't been working the other way that I have been working is intermuscular so this is an injection and and with the presence of a medical professional so I'll, I'll speak to the lozenge uh, the sublingual and uh, I am intermuscular a lot of the work I've been doing has been an extension of the regular therapy, regular, I call it regular now, now that I've been exposed mm -hmm. to psychedelic-assisted therapy, it builds on that. And in, in these lower doses, lozenges tend to be lower doses. It stays conversational. So like you and I could be in a session, ketamine 
um, dissolves uh, under the tongue in one of these lozenges. And then as that medicine comes on, it creates a little bit more space. It's kind of like a, a, a therapeutic lubricant, if you will, meaning we can connect with some unpleasant, challenging to traumatic material memories without having the same kind of reactivity arise with it. We can get a little bit of a different perspective and a little bit of a different perspective is a big deal therapeutically. So lozenges can be useful to assist therapy in that way. The intramuscular tends to be a higher dose. And in these higher doses, the focus is really on an internal journey. So the setup is a bit different. It's a couch or a bed, something very comfortable to lie down, eye shades, headphones, music, and through over the course of about an hour and a half or so, the uh, client is mostly inside with their experience on um, a particular arc of, of, of their experience. We have prepared with an intention and the last part of that intention is always, okay, and now we'll let go of that intention and open to whatever is arising. But all in the context of a therapeutic treatment and relationship. So with these intramuscular and higher, higher doses, some of or there's a, a focus of integration is after the peak of that experience. So music gets turned down, eye shades come off, and we start to talk about what that experience was like. And another plug, not just for your parents, but ketamine has been around for more than 50 years, very well researched, very safe when held um, in, a, in, a, in a proper way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, to me, that sounds amazing and far less scary, I think, to some people than um, some of these plant medicines that are that can take you unregulated into the depths of your mind in a different way. Yeah, depths of your mind and throughout the multiverse. Yeah, and, yeah. And for, you know, you're in f- with ketamine, you're in for, you know, an hour, two mm-hmm. hours. Whereas with many of the other, with the classic psychedelics, LSD, DMT, psilocybin, we're talking four, six, more, mm-hmm. or more hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what was the process of getting trained to work with these psychedelics like? Because you were already a therapist, mm-hmm. so you probably had a lot of the training kind of there. And then what was the rest of that process? The process of training, having had been trained as a psychotherapist and, and licensed and um, many years under my belt, MAPS trains their therapists for uh, the research and that training, there's many components to that. And that was specific to working with MDMA uh, in psychotherapy for the treatment of PTSD. The currently available training to work with psychedelics is not much. Mm-hmm. There are a few organizations, uh, some in Northern California, some on the East Coast. And this is also why along with a, a dear colleague, we have started a, a project here in Southern California called the Psychedelic Coalition for Health. 
project that launches with the symposium we've referred to before. We can talk more about that. And also a training program for psychedelic-assisted therapy and integration for clinicians uh, starts actually this October. So it's in response to the amount of more and more people seeking psychedelic therapies and the limitations or the yeah the limits on the amount of training that's that's available right now so my training has consisted of, of being trained by maps to work with mdma as part of the research and then also uh, several trainings to work with ketamine in practice in private practice so the some of the ketamine training has included experiential components so where as a trainee we would um, be administered ketamine, have our own experience, and on the same in the same training, be able to sit with other clinicians that are working with ketamine. So we get that experiential practice as well. To jump back to Maps, they have done quite such an ethical job of training their therapists, which includes the optional opportunity to be treated with MDMA. So I'm like, yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> so I had this opportunity to be part of a research study as a participant for healthy adults to work with MDMA. And they, you know, it increases the amount of, of data for working with MDMA. So I had an experience with two highly trained therapists and I got MDMA and also a, a placebo session. So I'm one of few, I think, that can say that they've legally had MDMA over the last 30 years, and it is amazing. It, it was really um, potent how it, for my myself personally, and also how it informs how I am with clients in this uh, non non ordinary uh, mind state uh, moving forward. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what was your experience like? The expression heart opening is often used to describe MDMA. And while I'm 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 kind of working on some other ways to describe it, but it really, really hits the bullseye. I'm touching my chest, my heart space right now, and it, it has this quality of an expansive sensation for me, and this expansive sensation in my chest. Uh, to talk, I could talk about what goes on in the brain, but the, the shorthand is the fear gets turned down. Imagine like a knob, if we could just turn that knob down. <laughs> and also the, the knob of or the dial of trust, we turn that up. So here I am in this comfortable, safe container with two trained therapists with their full attention on me. We've We've created some intentions, um, and I have this space to explore uh, essentially my life or things that stick out. Um, it highlighted for me different areas of where I was guarding, guarding in the ways that kind of shows up in my life, protecting some early, very uh, adaptive and um, useful ways to kind of survive at the time, which didn't need to be so. And that there was kind of an updating process that could happen again in this, this safe container, in this medicine 
um, the utility of it to help me uh, kind of turn down the fear that would normally come up with it to help me explore it. That sounds amazing. Wow. So MDMA then is still in clinical trials and what's the, what does it look like is on the horizon for legality of MDMA therapy? Yeah. So again, Rick Doblin, the pioneering founder of, of MAPS, who, who is going to lead off in the symposium coming up soon. He has been working on this as MAPS and, and many, many, many people uh, for over 30 years. And we are now on the cusp of it becoming FDA approved, which means the DEA then has 90 days to reschedule it. Rescheduling scheduling means how illegal mm-hmm. <laughs> something is. And it'll be rescheduled in a way that it can be then, it can be prescribed in conjunction with uh, therapy. And we, I mentioned phase three. So we are in the second half of phase three, which basically is going to time up to in mid 2022 to the FDA, that's likely the kind of a a window of which the FDA could then say, okay, the research has shown that this is highly effective and then it becomes able to be prescribed. There's a, a couple things with that. One, it's already considered a breakthrough therapy, meaning it's so outperformed other, other medicine for PTSD that the FDA gave it the breakthrough therapy uh, distinction, which helps it kind of move through the FDA process a little bit quicker. And again, a very ethical thing that MAPS is doing, the way that they're going to roll this out once it is approved is that they're, you're not going to be able to go to a store here on Abikini or, or around the corner and just buy uh, MDMA. It's going to be prescribed by psychiatrists or, or physicians that have had some training already with how MDMA works, and it will be prescribed in conjunction with MAPS-trained therapists so that we are really delivering that which has been researched, not just MDMA, but MDMA in conjunction with therapy. And I'd like to say one thing about that therapy. It's a, it's a particular kind of therapy which directs people to go inside and know themselves, connect with their inner healing intelligence. So that in of itself is quite, quite a different approach. There's no one kind of sitting on the outside making uh, interpretations of what's coming up or, or kind of directing things. It's, it's inner directed. So with the medicine, with trained therapists, and in this model, this is the way that, that MAPS will be rolling it out as early as uh, next year. Wow. That's soon. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. There's so many people that have been dedicated and, and working towards it. And in addition, so that's MDMA and um, what MAPS has been leading with. There's many other studies with other medicines, psilocybin, ayahuasca, LSD, DMT, uh, ibogaine that are in a, a similar process. They're just not as, as far, far along yet. Wow. That's so interesting. 
And then what are your thoughts on microdosing um, people who microdose some of these medicines at home? Yeah. So I don't have much experience with that, but I can say what I've heard anecdotally is that for a number of people, they've found it very useful for, there's one physician friend who uh, a patient of theirs has been able to replace Adderall with LSD microdosing. I'm not suggesting anybody do anything illegal. <laughs> and uh, these these medicines have, in, in various doses, have will will be shown. I think will be shown to have a great impact for a number of things. We've most of our conversation has been kind of around healing, uh, trauma, and, and health in that way. The way that I hold the work with these medicines. And more and more as we get clear and educated and clear around the safety, that it will be so useful for a wide range of different life, of just being human. Relationships we talked about a little bit, uh, creativity, uh, spiritual practice, purpose building. Like There's, there's a wide range of things that uh, these medicines can be useful for. Back to microdosing, again, don't have a, a lot of researcher or uh, personal experience to, to speak from, but I know it to be in this range of different ways to use uh, these psychedelic medicines. I would like to say just for, for people to, anytime they're, they're picking up uh, or working with a psychedelic in any of its, its forms is to be really intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, also maybe in, include somebody like a kind of a buddy system. So it, it can, you can just stay really authentic if, if, if you're kind of staying on point. And again, something we talked about earlier, like the intention, is this something I'm, I'm, I'm using to move away from myself or, or is the intention to move towards myself? to understand something, no, to, to relate to these different aspects of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such an important question to ask. So when you started practicing this type of therapy, moving from being a therapist to a psychedelic therapist, um, regular therapy to this, <laughs> mm-hmm. did you get any pushback from anyone in your life or anyone like who you previously worked with or anything like that? Mm. My head is is nodding and some faces are coming to mind, yeah. So yes. you can imagine the, the skepticism of, of, of some people and not only skepticism, but criticism of kind of coming from what they know of. If they hear LSD, that's the thing that people take and jump off out of windows or whatever, you know, whatever's been held. There's this very um, visual... Uh, ad campaign. This is your brain on drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, egg in the mm-hmm. frying pan. Do you yep. remember this? I yeah. Remember. So this this imagery, which we now know with clarity that the war on drugs was a war on black and brown people, and it was a technique to also that kind of created a very much created a stigma about drugs in general. Mm-hmm. Whether we call them drugs or medicine. It's how we're relating to them and getting to know the people that are using them and why they're using them and how. Then we can get more educated and clear about what's, what are the best ways best ways of using them. So when someone 
shares with me their criticism or skepticism about the utility of, of psychedelic medicines, I first honor their skepticism. Like that's what actually moves science forward, mm-hmm. uh, that, that kind of mind. And I encourage people to stay tuned in to the research uh, that's coming out. I'm sure, and if we just say like clinicians, psychotherapists, they were, or people in medicine in general, they're used to hearing like, oh, there's this research, there's this pill that you can take that will cure this or that or this. Um, and they've, we've kind of grown skeptical or even jaded to the potential impact of certain medicines. I know I'm a, a broken record on this, but it's it's the medicine and the psychedelics in conjunction with therapy mm-hmm. that, that I'm really, really speaking to. Mm-hmm. So as skepticism or, you know, criticism arises, <laughs> now my mind is actually thinking of my uh, family members, you know, Midwest, you know, loving, soulful people. But this idea of taking this thing that, you know, the egg in the frying pan is going to fry their brain. It's so far outside of their kind of wheelhouse mm-hmm. of what they think of is, is like healthy or, or, or useful. It's going to take education on wider and wider circles to really understand. And also the personal stories of veterans, first responders, of once suicidal people, of a wide range of people telling their stories, such as, as yourself and, and the healing components of these of these medicines, that really speaks to people and they can relate. And uh, uh, an organizing or a common thread there is we all have a right to not suffer and to mm-hmm. pursue you know, health and, and happiness. And if there's medicines, if there's compounds that can assist in that, then let's find out more. I encourage everyone to to find out more. It's the it's a main mission of um, the Psychedelic Coalition for Health, the organization that you know colleague Lauren Taus have begun here in Southern California. It's to educate and also to educate the public in in wide circles, and then also train clinicians to work with ketamine as the to to will be a focus, but also other medicines as they become available. So all that to say, skepticism, welcome. Let's use mm-hmm. it as a fuel to find out with more clarity about what medicines can help us uh, work with our suffering, to heal, to grow, to expand um, in creativity as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Yeah. And people come a long way once they learn about something. I mean, I'm always talking about this with my mom, that the first time that I started talking about psychedelics, my parents were horrified and my dad (laughs) didn't want me to do it. And my mom was really mad and they have come so far Mm. now when like a distant family member will question my lifestyle. My parents are like, my dad specifically is like, oh, ayahuasca is no big deal at all. She's been amazing for her. And and he reads about it. He's he's very up to date on like any news regarding um, plant medicine. And I love it because people, even the people who are so set in their ways can come so far with with knowing even if it's not for them, that it can be very healing for other people. 
All right. So tell us more about the symposium that is coming up that we've been mentioning. Mm, happy to. So excited about this. So as mentioned before, Rick Doblin, the pioneering founder of MAPS, will be kicking it off. We also have a panel of veterans that have taken on a new mission to make accessible psychedelic medicine for veterans for, for healing. Uh, Camille Barton will be speaking to uh, an embodiment, but also psychedelic exceptionalism and kind of ending the, the war on drugs. Paul Stamets, who's a beloved mycologist, he's kind of the mushroom guy. Uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, a trauma addiction uh, specialist. Senator Scott Weiner, who is the sponsor of a uh, a bill coming through the California State Assembly, which will decriminalize uh, some psychedelics in, in in certain amounts. So that's that's exciting. That's 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 coming about. He's going to be speaking to that. A uh, number of other great people speaking on a wide range of things. Tim Ferriss, Natalie Ginsberg, Dick Schwartz, who's the founder of Internal Family Systems, this kind of way of working with uh, parts of oneself and uh, one's higher self. So it's really uh, stacked full of amazing education uh, and information. In addition to the symposium, there's the, the training coming up through the Psychedelic Coalition for Health. This is going to happen in October here in Los Angeles. This is for clinicians that have been hearing about the potential of psychedelic-assisted therapies, that have a, a call to work with it, to bring it into their, their private practice or with a group practice or a clinic. It's an experiential training where we'll work with ketamine, and the focus will be with working with ketamine with clients. And at the same time, we're offering masterclasses in many other, like the classic psychedelics and, and other compounds so that clinicians can be educated uh, when, say, for an example, a client comes in and says, hey, you know, I had this LSD experience five, 10 years ago, and it keeps coming up. And there's this piece here that I want to explore. So therapists are more um, knowledgeable of how to hold that space and work with people in that uh, ongoing integration process. So we're excited about the symposium. We're excited about the training and humbled to, to be a part of, of something that so many people have come on board um, to help educate and advocate for healing and health. So exciting. Yes. Amazing. And people can find it at any time. It's going to be evergreen. Mm -hmm. So they can just find it on the website. That's right. At Psychedelic Coalition for Health, F-O-R spelled out. And there will be other added uh, goodies into the, the stellar lineup that we already have. That's exciting. Wow. I mean, that sounds amazing. I'm so happy that you guys are spreading this good information around. It's what people need. Mm. I agree. Yeah. And are there any books or anything that you recommend that people could pick up to learn more about this type of work or psychedelics? So books, um, there's the uh, quite popular one by Michael Pollan, How to Change Your Mind, that covers a range. Uh, if I say one other, it would be Consciousness Medicine by Francois. And I'll be sure to We'll get it lined up to get it in the, the Yeah, show we'll put notes. it in the show notes. Yeah. Consciousness Medicine. I haven't read that one. That sounds good. Michael Pollan one I have here sitting behind ah, us. I and see it. 
I actually need to like dive back into it. I read parts of it, but I haven't re- read the whole thing. But it's very comprehensive. Yeah. And if I could add, as people are considering exploring psychedelic medicine for, for whatever reason, the meditative and kind of yoga path align mm-hmm. very well. As, as you know, your head is nodding. Yeah. yeah. So I would explore some uh, meditation practice. If, if that's new to someone, um, go ahead and get that. Started. Yeah. Yeah. And that's <laughs> yeah. something that you have done for a long time is the mindfulness exercises. And it's no surprise to me mm-hmm. that you have now um, headed into this field, this work. It's all so similar and so it really works together. Absolutely. Dovetailing. And I attribute um, a, quite a bit of what I'm able to experience or what I'm available for during a psychedelic medicine journey to the practice of meditation. So mm-hmm. essentially noticing my mind, noticing uh, and practicing a capacity to be with whatever's arising. Um, if I, I kind of toss that out as well. If there's one thing to take with you in a medicine journey, it's to open to what's arising. Non-resistance mm-hmm. is key. And of course, set yourself up in a, in a safe and comfortable space. Yes. Surrender. Surrender. Mm-hmm. All of my best experiences have been once I've finally surrendered. And so people who are listening to this all over, all over the world, where could they maybe find someone like you if they don't live around here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a couple resources. Psychedelic.support is an organization that also has a lot of educational resources, and it can help connect you with not people to do medicine work, but with um, people that have experience and that can help integrate or even prepare perhaps for for working with psychedelics. Maps.org is uh, also an incredible resource. If anyone is interested in being a participant in some of this this research, that is is where you would find more information on that. As we've been talking and kind of turning towards getting to know the information and the research that's out there, Maps is a great resource for that. So is um, clinicaltrials.gov has these um, research studies available there as well. Amazing. Wow. Oh my gosh. This is so informative and I'm so excited for people to listen to this and to lead people to this episode because these are questions that I get every day that I typically don't answer, don't know how to answer because I don't really know where I've never really known where to send people because at least where I go for ayahuasca ceremonies is more private. Um, they don't want publicity or anything. And so this episode is going to be a very good resource for people. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. So happy to chatted with you. Yeah. Me too. How cool to come full circle. <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. My, uh, wife quipped, that, you know, the tables have turned. She'll be asking you the questions now. I love that. I know. I never thought, I never thought those tables would turn, but it's pretty amazing. And I believe it was back when I was 
working with you sitting in your office that I first started this podcast around, it was in 2015. So I remember. Yeah. yeah. Very full circle. Mm-hmm. So amazing. Yes. And where can everyone find you? They can find me at my website, apracticeoffreedom.com. Mm-hmm. And also along with at PCH, Prevention for Psychedelic Coalition for Health. So cool. And then final question, because I kind of ask everyone this who comes on, do you know your sun rising and moon sign? My main sign is Libra. And I don't know my other sign. We'll have to look it up. Well, let's look it up. When's your birthday? September 26th. Oh, wow. We're both Libras. Uh I knew you were Libra. (laughs) I knew it. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll have to look up the rest then. Let's do it. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on and being so open with us. And this was such a fantastic conversation. Of course. Thank you, Jordan, for this and all that you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. This was a phenomenal episode with Dr. Nicholas Bruce, my old therapist and someone who is doing incredible things in the field of psychedelic assisted therapy. I learned so much from him in this conversation and I'm sure that you guys did too. I hope that any of your questions that you had, you could get them answered in this episode. And if you have further questions, you can send them to me and we can always do a part two in the future. I honestly, like I said, I miss my psychedelic explorations being pregnant and it's also been a really cool time to just focus on integrating from all of my previous ceremonies and experiences. So everybody should definitely check out that symposium, which is actually how I found Nick again. And he mentioned in the episode how to find that. You can also go to his website, apracticeoffreedom.com and just support him. I love what he's doing. I'm so inspired and impressed and I cannot wait to see where this entire field goes. I could also see myself facilitating ceremonies in the future. That is a whole other story and I simply cannot wait to get more into that soon. So thank you, Nick, for coming on the podcast. Thank you also to our sponsors, Organifi and Sakara. You can find those links in the show notes. You can also rate and review the show on iTunes for a free gift. Send me a screenshot to jordanatthebalancebond.com. And you can always shop TBB products at thebalanceblonde.podia.com. I love you guys and I hope everyone has such a beautiful soul on fire day. We'll talk soon.